Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey everyone, welcome to Absurdity, where we explore all things absurd in culture, religion, and society. And today we have done it. It is episode 100 we are, we made it. You should really have like a key uh, celebration noise, like sound of like, ah. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to find one to add after we've said this. And I'm going to leave this part <laughs> of the dialogue in. Um, no, I'm, I, I actually can't believe it. Um, I'm the fact that we're here um, and it seems so fast, yeah, no, doesn't it's, it? it? And yet slow at the same time. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It take, took forever. So I was like, ah, we're never going to get there. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're, this is 98. Yeah, like huh. this is, this is insane to me. We are, that I know of, that yeah. I know of, we are the first Adventist hosted podcast to hit 100. The only one that beat us technically is Kathy's Kids from the Carolina Conference. But that's like a story, t- like a kid's story time podcast. Like it's not a like a talk show or like traditional podcast in that way. It's more like a online radio program. So um, so that one that one technically beat us there at like 150 episodes. So that's um, but that's like I'm the most claim Adventist fun- type of podcast. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and claim that we're the first ones that I know of. And I've looked at several others. <laughs> and if someone's out there that can I'll take it that wants to claim it, then so be it. I just that's all I know of. And I had thought about doing I had thought about doing an episode where we just kind of recap everything and how far we've come and, you know, share show some highlight or share some highlight clips, things like that. But then I was like, nah, that wouldn't be true to who we are. Um, And no one cares about that. Let's be honest. We are the only people that care about that, Tony. Um, so we may do that as a bonus episode. It would be fun to do something like uh, on the TV shows where like one of the characters has like a near death experience and flashes back to like all the the moments that mattered and then they come out of it in a hospital or something but then it's like 
yeah, but that's not what we do. Like, exactly. That's it. it, Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm about as nostalgic as I can't even think of something that's not nostalgic. Like I, I just, okay. Yeah. That's nice. Boop. Throw it away. Like I don't care. Yeah. I'm the same way. You're not sentimental. Um, no, so today you may be hearing a third voice here uh, because you are, um, I am joined and Tony, well, Tony and I are both joined by Evan Willis, who is a friend of mine from when I was pastoring out near Charlotte and, uh, he is a pastor out in, uh, in Charlotte still though at a different church now or an added church, church. different church. Okay. Uh, different church from when we were kind of working in the same city and, um, he, he was also Evan. You were on before, like way before. Like you were on around like episode yes, seventeen yes, yes. or something like that. Like you were on. We're recording yeah. this in July of 2019, and you were on in January yes. of 2018. That's yeah. how long ago. Like yeah. that's insane. Yeah. It's so much has changed since then. So this is going to be really good because we kind of get a redo on this. The first time that we recorded this, and the first time you came on, it was episode eighteen. And the first time that you came on, we um, we wanted to talk about regional conferences, and then I accidentally hijacked the conversation um, and turned it into one about like racism in general midway through. And so this is the do over. (laughs) Uh, This is the do over, and I think what we're doing is talking about something that, at least within Adventism, is um, a low key. It's like a low key, but not low key like contentious or like like hot topic issue in that like when it comes up everyone has an opinion on it and everyone like it and it's a serious issue but if it but it's not one that's like regularly lobbied for or against all the time um it's i I would say it doesn't come up as frequently as something like women's ordination does in the adventist church um so that that's kind of where i sit there but um so we're gonna we're gonna rehash this topic out and hopefully get way more in, in depth or in detail about this as we talk about it. But Evan, as we, as we start yeah. this conversation, we'll, we'll provide no answers, but we're definitely going to rehash. Yes, absolutely. The arguments and <laughs> absolutely. bring up emotions, get people angry. That's really what we want to do. And Tony <laughs> in one sentence just described his entire MO for pastoring. Um, uh, Evan, why don't you tell us just a bit about yourself, where you're from back, you know, whatever you want to tell us, whatever you want our listeners to know. Okay. Um, well, I'm a pastor in the South Atlantic Conference. Um, I pastor the Northeast Seventh-day Adventist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, the largest Black Adventist church in the city of Charlotte. Um, I am originally from the Alleghenies Conference, um, uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, Hillside Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I graduated from an historic Black Adventist Academy uh, which is Pine Forge Academy. And then matriculated down to Oakwood, graduated, pastored two years, and went to the uh, to the Empire, to, to Bering Springs, Michigan, to the Adventist Theological Seminary. And uh, here I am now. Um, I'm married uh, to the beautiful former Leah Word. I feel like I'm doing my, ser- my pastor introduction. <laughs> and, uh, and I have four sons. Hmm. Deacons collect uh, the offering. Yes, yes. And I, I fully intend to use them when they get older to force votes through and have them stand behind me to make sure that their big towering figure scared people to vote in my way. Yes, I love it. Um, 
Yeah, and for those obviously who can't see Evan, he is a very tall, towering figure, and his yes. his sons will definitely inherit that. Yes, yes. Just have them stand back with like earpieces and yes. and sunglasses. That's always the key. Yeah. Just make them look like bodyguards all the time. <laughs> Menacing looks. Um, yeah. No, so this is um, so for those we have a we have a pretty decent non Adventist listenership. So I think it's important for me to set some context here as far as what is a regional conference and why are we talking about it? So um, one of the major criticism that Adventism gets today is that we are a quote unquote segregated congregation or segregated denomination that in in a post segregation America, we still have a denomination that seems intentionally segregated in that um, within the structure of Adventism at the conference level, um, and specifically in America, in North, in, in the North American division, but in the United States, um, we have state conferences. So those would be like Florida conference, Georgia Cumberland conference, Carolina conference. Right. And then we have, um, and then we have regional conferences, regional conferences started in, uh, the forties and we'll go into that history momentarily because there's a lot more than just like, Oh, they just popped up in the forties. Um, but uh, regional conferences actually overlap with state conferences and they are intentionally run and and exist for uh, the black community. And so this has become a a note of kind of it, it for many people. They see it as this huge stain on Adventism's reputation and and our name that we would dare have these segregated conferences and all this stuff. And but it turns out as we and hopefully as we dive into this, we can see that it's a little bit more uh, gray than uh, black and white, no pun intended. And I think I, I, so I think there's a lot here to unpack because this is something that when it does come up, it tends to turn a lot of heads and get a lot of people upset one way or the other. So, um, let's start with this. Um, and Evan, you're always great at this. And actually the first time that you came on, you schooled me on this big time. So what, um, can you walk us through the history of regional conferences and kind of how they came to be? I can do that, but I think it's best if I first kind of lay the groundwork for race-based issues within the church that leap. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. So um, let's do it. In the 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 first black Adventist pastor was a man, uh, elder named C. M. Kinney. He's kind of like the godfather towards a lot of the black leaders. Um, he was the first black pastor. Uh, and he was baptized, I believe, in Nevada, either Nevada or Utah, but I think Nevada. And um, kind of after he was baptized, after some time passing a pastor, they, they thought it'd be best for him to kind of cultivate uh, work amongst the black community. And so they hired him as a pastor at some juncture. And uh, he did a lot of work in doing evangelism and things of that nature throughout uh, the South. Uh, and so when he became ordained, it was in Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. And, um, they had a Adventist camp meeting and his ordination service. He, he was being ordained and his congregation was filled with black people tried to sit under the tent. And there was a big, there was a big issue. There was a big issue, which called because the white members didn't want the black members to sit in the same tent with them. And so CM Kinney said not too long after that, that he wondered if it was better uh, 
to form separate conferences because it might be too dangerous to bring black people into the Adventist church uh, based on how they're treated. Um, and then in 1891, Ellen hmm. White spoke at the GC um, at general conference uh, session, which is uh, for a non-Adventist listener, it's an annual, well, at that time it was like a semi-annual conference where the world, the, the, the church at that point would all come together and have these meetings to vote on issues and have worship services together. Uh, preach a sermon called uh, Our Duty to the Colored People, uh, which is still, the manuscript is still found in um, Southern Work, the Southern Work, and she preached about um, how God had impressed upon them, on her, on numerous occasions that we need to go down into the South to labor amongst the recently freed slave population. Now, this is 1891. This is uh, 25 years since black people were set free from slavery. And so the church has kind of always been behind the racial relations for whatever reasons or, or, or ministering to the black community for, for whatever reason, probably due to priorities. And she said, I've talked to you about this time and time again, but you have not put any real effort behind going to evangelize this community. Um, not only that, um, the church still didn't listen, so she began to write letters in the Review and Herald. This is all stored in the, the book, The Southern Work, um, where she was chastising and encouraging the church to heed what she was saying. And it was not until um, her son, Edson White, was painting uh, her house after she had been banished to Australia, was painting her house and found the letters that he felt convicted that he had to go forward and do the work. And so the church didn't sponsor, the church didn't support him in it. And he, he built uh, a riverboat, a steamboat called the Morning Star and rode it down the Mississippi River to begin to work among the black uh, community, uh, teaching them to read and teach them other skills because um, there was a hunger within the black community to learn. Um, and so in 1896, obviously that's when Oakwood was started. Um, and even then, even with Oakwood from 1896 until 19, I want to say 20 to the 1920s, I don't give exact dates, the 1920s, there was, um, there was a refusal to allow black leaders to lead their own congregate to lead their own university because there was a, a feeling of inferiority mental inferiority and so it wasn't until student protests now led by ww fordham and other black leaders uh who were students at the time that they were able to receive a black president so there's always been uh the racist ideas that exist permeated uh broader america also permeated in the church particularly in their perspective of black leaders and their capacity or potential uh, which are formed in a white supremacist society. And so during all that time frame, there are still these discussions. Can blacks, uh, do blacks need their own conferences because black issues are not a priority. First, there was the um, the color department, um, which my great-grandfather, U.S. Willis Sr., was a part of, and, and men like R.L. Bradford and men like C.M. Kinney. 
but then eventually uh, in 1942, like 2, 43, um, maybe even 44, a woman named Lucille Ballard uh, was... Um, was taken to Washington Adventist Hospital, uh, and she was what you would say passed for white. I mean, she was black; she had black uh, parentage, but she looked like she could be white. And so they were going to see her until they found that she was black. And instead of seeing her, they yeah. didn't treat her, and she died. Now the rumor is she died like outside the hospital. I don't think that's true. I think this may be a, a slight exaggeration, but they didn't see her, and because it delayed, eventually she did die which led uh, the black leaders in D.C. in kind of like an outrage, an uproar. And, and they demanded full inclusion because at that time, men like G. Peters and other prominent Adventist, black Adventist ministers weren't allowed to sit in St. Cafeteria uh, or, or have the same equality as their, their white members or white leaders of the church. And so it, her death, I would liken to Emma Till's death to spurring on the civil rights movement it spurred on a hot debate over racial issues. And there are people who I left out like Louis Sheaf and, and, and Alderman Humphreys, not Alderman Humphreys, um, can't remember, Pat, uh, Amanda Humphreys, who ended up being kicked out of the church and formed their own denominations because the black church, that, the Adventist church really didn't uh, accept them. And they felt like, although they believed in the truth about the message, that the racism uh, was contrary to the fact that this could be a remnant church. And so in 1946, um, you have the inception of the first regional conference, which is the Lake Region Conference that covers mm. uh, Illinois, Minnesota, um, Indiana, Michigan. I think that's it, yeah. Those, 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 those states. Um, and Ellen White oftentimes would be extremely critical of in the early 1900s of the church. And uh, one, one stinging rebuke she gave that resonated with me is the reason why you can't sit on the same bench as a person of color is because the character of Christ is not in you. Mm. Yeah. Um, as, as, a, as a famous quote. Yeah. No, yeah. I think, and, and, and I want to clarify one thing kind of as we go forward, which is there was a moment yeah. in, in this early on where you, where you talked about, um, I think it was, I think you mentioned it was either camp meeting or general conference of the, 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 yeah. um, when black people wanted to sit and attend and they could, no, it was the ordination yeah. service, wasn't it? Yeah, ordination, ordination, yeah, ordination. service. It was yes. the ordination. Yeah. It was yes. the original. So they wanted to, yeah. Yeah. So they wanted to, they wanted to attend this, but they weren't able to sit in the tents with the white people. Basically white people didn't want them to sit in tent under the tents with them. Right. There's been a roar of ruckus. And yes. Disturbance. So that is, that is the exact idea that I, that I want to kind of set the tone here for not that I'm pivoting away from regional conferences, but as we talk about racism, right. Um, we are talking about this idea of one group of people being able to oppress the others. And in that case, this is, this is, and, and that is a perfect example here of saying like, yeah, when the group of black people showed up, the white people didn't have to leave though. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this is, it's the idea of the group that's able to make the other group leave. That's the group in power. And with, with white people and, and the state of race relations, especially back then, but even now um, that's still the case. So when we talk about racism, we're not talking, Sure, there there could be some black people there that really don't like white people. Doesn't mean that in that situation they're racist for not liking white people. Um, 
so let's like I just want to be really clear on that as we use those terms for prejudice versus racism. Um, if those ever I don't know if they're going to come up anymore, but I think that's really important of a caveat to just in, include in there. Um, so, Evan, thank you. Thank you for giving yeah. us the history there. And thank you for doing it for the third time <laughs> yeah. that I've talked to you about this. Um, yes, this is not the first time we've had to do that. We'll do our, we'll do our annual <laughs> review of Absurdity's annual regional conference. Until we fix yes. this thing, we're going to keep um, talking about so it. So a couple of key things that I see there, which are number one, the conversation started yeah. by black people not feeling safe in, um, you know, alongside yeah. the rest of the church. And so this isn't yeah. this isn't the typical form of segregation where it's like mm-hmm. white people forced, but at the same time, white people no. almost left no option. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see like so it's it's this yeah. weird kind of passive forcing of that of that hand. Yeah. Um and, and, and I would say it still was forced because the demand was inclusion. And yeah, yeah, okay. As a means to as a means to address it. They said, no, you can't give full inclusion, but you can have your own conferences. And there was a fear amongst the black leaders that even after the vote, that there's going to try to be, and this comes down to control the narrative, there's going to try to be a swaying of power to steer the leaders that would go that way away from it. Because it was kind of like, mm-hmm. let them fail, uh, but then also turn the narrative as if they wanted this as opposed to we wanted this. Okay, there we go. So that, that, that's a really good clarification. Um, yeah. so Tony, uh, what, uh, where, where do you kind of sit here as far as hearing that? And I don't know what of that you already knew. I kind of coming into the screen as far as where you stand on all of this. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Where are you after hearing that and, and kind of in this topic in general? Well, I was really lucky. I got a lot of my kind of history behind regional conferences from Gerson Hayes. Uh, people don't know him. Excellent young pastor. Also been on um, this podcast. Yep. Yep. And, uh, so he, he was one of the, uh, a big movers of, um, against the wall and, and, uh, uh, it's time, uh, movement. Um, so it was a really cool guy and, and I got a lot of kind of the history behind it from him. And one of the things that always hit me, um, is that point that you made, which was, this was about safety. Um, cause I thought it was, you know, coming, coming from the West coast, it tends to be more integrated. Um, I grew up you know, you could spit and it would hit off 18 Adventist churches and every single one of them would be a different, you know, ethnicity. Uh, but even in that, you know, what you would go to Glendale Filipino and there'd be white people, there'd be black people there. You'd, you know, spit and hit Berean Adventist church and there'd be, all, you know, all different colors. So I was, I grew up with more of a spirit of inclusion. Cause like, I, you know, it's a newer city. Uh, I grew up in LA and, and um, it's still got its issues. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not, you know, there's no real moral high ground with the LAPD, but um, it, at least that was the spirit was much more. Oh, yeah, I grew up with Indonesians and El Salvadorians. So for me, it was it was a bit of a shock going to Southern and really understanding the background behind it, where it was like, oh, they stay on that side of the river and we stay on this side of the river. And it's for safety reasons. And that was something that I didn't realize. Um and and in that sense, I was like, you know what? It's wrong for me because at first I was very against them. I was like, hey, we need to we need to tear them down and get rid of this. And, and then I was like, oh, I, you know, it it's I'm white passing, right? So someone who looks like me all of a sudden says, yeah, I'm going to take away the thing that makes you feel safe. I was like, oh, I gotta 
That's the wrong <laughs> attitude to come with it. Yeah. Um, so I started with from from a place of ignorance, you know, good intentions, but the road to hell is paved with those. So um, my view has radically changed. I, I've always said, you know, I've had so many different conversations with friends of mine who uh, are black, who are uh, POCs, Latinos, uh, Asians, um, and I remember one in particular. Uh, it's a good friend of mine. Uh, he, he's pastoring. Um, in a uh, a state conference, um, multi-state conference, but a, a state conference, and uh, he's the only black pastor in that conference. And what he, you know, his his viewpoint, I remember distinctly because he said, "Well, we're never going to get rid of this." And I said, "Well, I think we can. I think it's going to take a lot of time. But one of the things that needs to happen is the state conference needs to say for one voting period." We are going to take the leadership. We are going to all step down and we are going to ask the leadership of our neighboring regional conference to take over. So the people that you voted in are going to take over for one voting block um, because it's a, it's a power dynamic. And so it, it, it can't be because this is the fear that I realized it isn't that, Oh, we're not together. It's that, the rights and the freedoms and the interests and the needs of the black community are not going to be adequately served or even, or or God forbid, deliberately ignored um, if they were to integrate. And so in order to do that, because I truly believe that if black leadership were to take over a state conference, there would be no problems. I mean, there's always going to be problems. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they would immediately come in and be like, all right, all white churches are gone. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. So there needs to be that level of trust of, hey, you know what? We're going to step aside for a voting block. We're going to let you guys take over because that's the level of trust and um, commitment to power equality, I guess, is the way to say that. So that would, that you know, to me, that's something that, that, if there's some conference that's out there that's brave enough to try that, that's what would need to happen. You know, I, I, I'm aware that policy would make that impossible and it would be a paperwork nightmare. It would be an HR nightmare. Um, but to me, that's something that I see as being just a great way to bring healing is just to say, you are just as qualified as we are to run this conference. God has elected you. Um, so we're going to step aside and we're going to let you take over and we're going to let you make those, the big decisions and, and let you, uh, come up with the ministries and, and, um, we're going to follow your vision. Um, the problem is you, you know, you would have to get a, a whole conference to buy into that. And I don't really know a lot of conferences, to be honest, that, um, are even in a financial position to be able to let that happen. So that would be difficult, but that's kind of my view on the whole thing is like, Man, I want to make sure that my POC brethren um, feel safe and feel taken care of, and and don't have this fear that if we, if anything changes, we won't be safe. Like our our needs aren't going to be met. Um, you know, you had this problem early in the Bible, very early, where the Greek widows weren't being served the same as the Jewish widows, and and it's not a new problem, but I think it's one that I think is it's, it's complicated and complex and doesn't have a simple answer. 
but I think isn't impossible to fix. But that's my, like I said, that's my personal, I tend to be an optimist when it comes to that. And so those, that's kind of my personal view on the whole situation. And so I would, I would, I would definitely disagree. I think, I think, yes, there is a concern for about power dynamic in the sense that um, a reservation from black leadership is that if we come into state conferences, if we um, allow ourselves to come uh, down and we, that we would lose a share of power and a voice at the table to influence what's going on um, as it relates to our issues and our concerns. But uh, I just think at the end of the day, it's not like it's a structural reality that reflects uh, the inward feelings of not just our history, but our present and our future. That is to say that um, black, when black people and Latino people and other people of color begin to come into white Adventist, their historic white Adventist schools, eventually the white people leave and the funding leave. And what I fully believe would happen if this is forced on anyone is that white people would uh, petition to form their own conferences again, if not within the next, not without that term, within the next few years. <laughs> We'd have the exact opposite regional conference situation. <laughs> that, that's my, that's <laughs> my, my genuine belief. Like, I think, I think uh, we're just in an era where millennials okay. are, are kind of like hippies. Like we, we're about for world peace. We're about for everything good. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, like the power structures that be don't necessarily want black leadership. I mean, I hear that when, yeah. when, when I hear, and this is just what I hear, I'm, I'm cautious to even say this, but I hear that when John Nixon was pastor at, at Southern, the white folk were needed, needed to put the man in the hospital, just based, not based upon being physically violent, but based upon the amount of stress and strain that was put on him of the way to being a black man over a white congregation. The fact that even he has credentials behind his name, there's this presupposition that he's somehow inferior, it's not capable of really being over mm. such a uh, big um, church or being able to lead at, yeah, at, at Southern. Go ahead. I will say, I, I don't know much about John Nixon's. I do know that he was so stressed that at some point he did go under, um, he did have some medical issues. I just don't know what the, the source of it is, though that wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Um, I also yeah. think that if white people did form our own conferences, we wouldn't even be creative about it. We would just call ourselves East Allegheny instead of Allegheny East. <laughs> You know that we would totally culturally appropriate that junk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just be clear. Um, so I, um, I think at least here, um, I think you do have an HR nightmare in that regional conferences do extend across state lines as well. Um, and I do think that there is a something that people kind of sometimes fail to realize, which is that with adding suddenly a ton more constituents, you also need more personnel. So it's likely that there are a lot of people from both conferences that actually could end up just working side by side rather than not necessarily the officers specifically, but I'm talking like um, general uh, right, positions yeah. that are not voted yeah. positions. But the other side of this is, and, and 
Tony, I don't think you meant it this way necessarily. I don't know if you, maybe you did. I'm maybe I'm just being optimistic about your intent here. Um, but I think part of the, part of the problem I have with this conversation, when we do talk about white versus black conferences or whatever, is this idea that, that white people are going to let the black people lead now. Um, and, and, um, like you had said, like, oh, we're yeah. going to let you yeah, guys no, no, do no. it. We're going to let you. We're like, we're so great for letting you right, have exactly. this opportunity yeah, yeah, to yeah, lead. Yeah, yeah, The language of it is so tricky because it, it definitely has that sense of like, oh, we're letting you, you know, come in. Um, like I say, it, you can't really do this on a conference level. Um, you can do it on a church level. I think that's a lot easier. We can get a whole congregation behind where they go. We want to bring a spirit of healing, and as a congregation, we are going to come together. Um, say, for instance, not even a, a black conference. Let's say there's a Latino church, right? And the Hispanic church is growing, and it's big, and they're going to say, you know what? We're going to move. Uh, they need a facility. We have a big facility. We're not filling it. We're going to move our services to the afternoon or just have a bilingual service, and we're going to come together and, and you know, it, it has to be people coming in saying, this is something we're excited moving into forward where it isn't yeah, yeah. A, I got you're you. being forced yeah. to do this. Um, it's from um, the bottom up, you know, it's a grassroots yeah. thing. It's a culture shift. Yeah. And but so like, that, I mean, you can't, you can't get three churches to agree on one thing, much less a conference worth of them. So yeah, it, it, it would be, I, I get that it's a pipe dream and my, I don't want to get the, is with all of this is, uh, the regional conferences like are seen as this last bastion of American history racism. And if we would just do away with them, suddenly there's no problem anymore. And for, for right, like, yeah. I think even if we combine the churches themselves are still going to be churches. They're still conference owned property and churches. No one's going to move their membership. Like, and maybe I'm being nihilistic or pessimistic about what people would or wouldn't do. Humans can surprise me. Sure. But ultimately, like if our churches aren't partnering together now, when they're literally down the street from each other, then I don't see how like all that's going to change is the conferences will be yeah. one, but the churches will still be split. So it's just going to be an appearance no, I, rather I, than actual function yeah. or substance. Well, I, and that's what Evan was bringing up. And that's a very real I, I will admit I exist in a in a happy world where everything works and also recognize that I we live in a world where nothing ever goes the way it's supposed to be. So uh I you know, Evan brought up that point really well, and that is that, you know, you could even if you combine the conferences, that doesn't mean people are gonna work together. And I hate to be political, but I think the last four years and the last election kind of showed it was a real litmus test where we are as a country um you know it seemed like we were heading in a positive direction with the previous administration before this one and then all of a sudden it feels like we took a step back and i and 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 i it it feels that way but the reality is and i think evan you you can kind of understand this those feelings that came out and have come out over the last 3 4 years were always there and I think it's just revealing the issues that we need to address. And sometimes uh, millennials and Gen Z, younger you know, people, we tend to not bury our hands to the sand as much, but not realize more than what's around us until we actually step out. Uh, Twitter has been great for me 
to get a real sense of what's going on in the real world. Having conversations with people, you know, like Evan, like Garrison, like, uh, uh, you know, good friends that are from across the country where it's like, well, things might be great in, say, you know, Houston, but even in the same state, you might head in a different direction. It's like, oh, no, it's a real issue here. Um, or even the majority isn't a big issue. So I think a lot of times you have to look at the practicality of it. And that's why I say at, when I came out, you know, I came out swinging with, oh, we need to get rid of them. And, and then it really shifted where it's like, well, it would take, and that's what I say, like it would take a pipe dream to make it work. Um, and it's more important that people feel like they can get stuff done. And, and, and I think you hit on a point and I think Evan, I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this, where I know of regional conferences, several regional conferences that are doing better numbers wise, finance wise, um, growth wise than the state conferences are. So there's, it, there really isn't this, how do I say, um, I don't view them urgency. anymore as this. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not an urgency if it's like, well, if not that it's, if it's, it's not broke cause it is broken, but it's like, this is, this is a group that is able to be effective in ministering. And if they're doing, if God is working through them in that place, yes, I think it would be better. But, and like I said, Evan, I want your thoughts on this because, you know, but I'm like, well, I mean, they're doing the job. I don't know why we have to go in there and mess that up. Like I would rather they able, they're able to do ministry than to go and tinker. I, I don't know. That's my personal thoughts on that too. Cause I don't feel like there's inferior uh, conferences at all. I feel like quite a few of them are much, much stronger than their counterparts. Uh, I think what I would say is one as a black man, I never thought things during Obama's uh, administration were trending in a different direction because Trayvon Martin was shot and killed in 2013. No, 2012. And the verdict for not guilty was 2013. Yeah, yeah. Obama said two more years after that. And, and many in black America were saying that racism is revealing itself in a very, very real way under this black leadership because there's been an increase in race-based violence during the same time frame. I think now we're seeing, a, I think now because of the media circus and because of the Trump administration, race is becoming a, a much more central topic. But the reality is, in every generation, in every era of American history, they, there has been arguments that racism is not a problem. And so it's because we always compare it to how it was during the previous generation. But as we wake up and see things a little more clearly, we realize, oh, no, wait, it, it was a problem. But we're blind to it in our current state because it's normalized. And so for me, yeah. the issues we're facing in this country, you're right, they're not new. And the issues we face in our church are not new. You know, race still matters supremely. And I'd argue that racial identity 
is more important than religious identity as it relates to most Christian denominations. Um, because most people prefer a black church if they're black, a white church if they're white, a Latino church if they're Latino, a Haitian church if they're Haitian. And, and I don't know if there's something really innately wrong with it, other than the fact that race, which is not a real thing, uh, when I say real thing, which is not a real biological category, because I think they say it's only like 0.01% or 0.1% uh, genetic yeah, difference. Yeah, because it's, yeah. it's, it's a, yeah. Yeah, it's a physiological, way, not it's, biological. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This has become a reality in which we say, "Well, I I feel more at home with my fellow black man. I feel more at home with my fellow white man. I feel more at home with my fellow um, a Korean man, or whatever the race may be, or my because the creation of a race based racial caste system has made us all believe that race really matters more than it does." Or more than it should. Um, and the issues we face within our church, to me, is a part of a larger American narrative of moving towards a colorblind society. The reason why, going back to Ryan's point, the reason why regional conferences matter in the eyes of, of white Adventism, from my perspective, is because is because we shouldn't still be concerned about race because we're moving towards this 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 colorblindism, which is disrespectful to any person of color because it's another form of erasing our history. Yeah, it's saying I don't see you for who you. I don't see your actual part of your identity. That's yeah. what it's saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in the same way, when we were brought over here as slaves, our history is erased. The removal of, of, of regional conferences is another attempt to erase the legacy of my family, the legacy of, of anyone who's come through the regional conference system and gone on to do well and gone to become productive Adventist member of society. So for me, it's like, I hear what people say, and I think that multiculturalism is a beautiful thing. I'm just not convinced that multiculturalism is God's moral expectation for every congregation. No, I I would agree with that. I think I uh, so I struggle with this because A, I think that the the conversation around ending regional conferences tends to be centered around white guilt and we just feel bad that these things exist and we want them to be gone. Um I think yeah, that's yeah. I think that's a big part of that conversation. Um and that's what happens, right? The first cry, like this was my first cry when I started taking paying attention to racial issues was like Oh, regional, like I looked inward and I was like, oh, regional conferences, that's not okay. There's like, it's, I feel bad right, for what yeah. I was and now I'm overreacting or overcorrecting. Um, and I do think it would be, I do think it would be a form of denying um, reality and erasing history to try and say like, and it's a, kind of this idea to sweep it under the rug. But I think too, Tony, to your point, I do think meddling in that too is something of saying like, um, this isn't done until the white people figure out how to end it. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, or, and, or, or we'll all it'll be so much better if we get together. And yeah. it's like, is it, I don't think, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I would question that. I would question that it's going to be better or more effective or, 
you know, I, I, I really don't think it is just because it's doing really well. Um, well, and, and let's, and let's your, be, and your conference is it. Let's be honest too. Any multicultural service is really just a white service with toned down white music for, um, <laughs> for everyone in the room. That's what it always ends up being every time. Um, how great is our God is always played in that service. And, um, like it's, it's always like contemporary CCM, but from like late nineties, early thousands that just, that everyone just knows at this point. And then our, uh, our version I, I, of, I, I was going to say, it was, it was actually a little different growing up where I was at. Cause it, it, it was more like a toned down black service. So it was like really <laughs> high. Uh, it was, it was really cool. But yeah, like I, I get what you're saying that they tend to, it tends to lean towards the the white majority yeah. membership well yeah. and in smaller congregations too i think that might be different versus a place like like if i'm being honest about my institution and i love the institution i work for don't do not get me wrong but like i look at southern's vespers and it's very clear when we're doing something that is um like everyone's idea of the safe service for everyone at vespers or wherever is is a piano a cajon and a guitar and um and in many service not now i'm not i'm not talking about southern anymore but so i'm talking about larger institutional adventism but um yeah the one the one kind of black song we throw in there is days of elijah because it's got a tiny bit of rhythm to it like that's and that's not um, even a black song and i'm being tongue in (laughs) that's what i'm saying that's what i say i i that's what i i realized saying that that no one can see my fingers go up when i do air quotes but that's my point like that's that's our version of of whatever like it's it's ridiculous and um and so it's this it's this it's this good intent without any sort with with a lot of naivety and ignorance behind it that leads us to end up erasing more of the history and and honestly like and evan you've told me about this before and i'd love for you to expound on it but this idea that they also like regional conferences in general tend it's not that they stand as like a celebration of how far you've come but they are some sort of signal of it right like this is there's more to them now than just the history, but also where you, as you said, where we are now and where we're headed as a future. Uh, Ridge conferences for me has been has been integral to my identity. I mean, seeing how my great grandfather was in the meeting in 1946 that led to the creation of regional conferences, and then his sons pastoring in regional conferences and being leaders in regional conferences and. And then growing up and knowing my president and him coming to my congregation and him being, you know, um, affirming my identity and then having the regional conference scholarship plan that's been provided for me, understanding uh, the, the issues uh, for black people in America. I mean, they've given so much to me going to Pine Forge Academy, having a rich history and, and really just be, seeing a bastion of black success, um, just being the evidence sorry, of, of black success that that streams through these congregations and the evangelists and the speaking and the celebration of, of what we've been accomplished has been huge for my identity formation. And I think for so many, so many others, and, and, mm-hmm. and really for, if you talk to most kids who've come through the regional conference, it hurts when it's always like, we need to get rid of these regional conferences. It, it, it feels like, you know, If, if if what you're saying is there's a problem with racism, okay, we can we can get beyond that. We, we have no problem with that. But it's always focused on regional conferences, and then it seems right. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, the pressures on Black people to stop regional conferences, and it's like, can we have an accurate 
retelling of our history and of the history of our church. Because see, regional conferences, yeah. the problem is regional conferences sometimes are told as black history. It's not Adventist history and it should be Adventist yeah. history. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and let's, I mean, I, I know that the NAD does the end it now series where they go to, you know, different university campuses or whatever. And Dan Jackson, Alex Bryant, I think Randy Robinson, right. Is the last, the latest that also went with them to, to do answer live questions via Facebook and, and to a live audience. And one of the, one of the questions asked, I think the second or third time they did it was about regional conferences. And every time it comes up, Dan Jackson always responds with, well, um, the black people can vote to end their conference anytime. Um, and it seems like this whole, like, it's just putting it back up. Like it almost sounds like I get what he's trying to say there, but what he, what it actually implies or says is, oh, it's the black people's fault that we still have, <laughs> that we still have these, like it's their fault. But I, I, I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where I don't see any sort of need to get rid of them in any really way, shape or form. I see, I'm to a point where I think we need to learn how to partner better. And and it and in the vein of what you just said, um, combining the history <laughs> of yeah. like like understanding that how this all plays in together yeah. to make Adventist history, um, yeah. but instead of whitewashing it, but well, this I, is, I think I think the other thing is the assumption is that if we get rid of regional conferences, the racism will go away. Like that's the first step to ending racism. And one of the things that I have talked about in the many conversations, I go, that's the last thing to go. Like we have to get rid of racism before then we can integrate that story. Um, and I think that's the same thing. And, and even then I don't think we need to get rid of quote unquote, get rid of them because you know, one of the things I discovered, this was yeah. amazing to me. Uh, Evan, you mentioned going to an yeah. HBCA, HBCU, uh, a historically black Christian Academy, historically black Christian university. Um, I, I think we should keep those. I think those should exist forever. And the reason why is I watched a friend of mine who grew up in California in a multicultural, you're saying, you know, multi-ethnic, um, you know, multicolorism. It's all of that good stuff. And he grew up as this good, this dude, his identity was as an individual, as a person. Um, he liked jazz. He did all this other stuff, you know, like that was him. He went to an HBCU and, and I don't, he didn't, quote unquote, discover his blackness, but all of a sudden his identity became as a black man. And he was able to discover not only his success uh, of, of his forebears of the people who came before him and, and the amazing history that he had, but how, um, you know, there, there was a sense of pride in being a black man, not just who he was as an individual, which is awesome. But and he's a great guy. Don't get me wrong; we're still really good friends. But as a black man, he had a pride in that. And I go watching that happen. I was like, man, that is so awesome to see. Um, there is a value in that, and I think there's a value in in having a place where someone can come in and and realize we made this. It may have come from a a broken place, but this is something that you can have pride in and look at and say, man. This is awesome. And there's, I don't see, to me, I'm seeing less and less of a problem with that. Um, and, and like I said, I don't think the first step in ending racism is getting rid of something that should bring pride in someone um, that, that does something in that way. Like you were talking about it, where it's like, it's great to know that this is our history. Um, I, you know, 
I, I'm Argentinian. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm, I'm Italian. But I was born here. None of those histories really are my history. But when I read about Italian history, when I read about, um, you know, Argentinian history, when I read about these different things, it's like, oh, that's really cool because that's part of who I am. And to get rid of that, for someone to just dismiss that and say, nope, you're just this now, um, I think is very, very dangerous. France, to me, is a, a great example of this. Um, I don't know if Evan, you were paying attention to the World Cup, but when France won the World Cup, there was a big, you know, Trevor Noah made a joke about, oh, Africa, you know, won the World Cup because the majority of the players were from different parts of colonized Africa um, or, or immigrants from different parts of Africa. And one of the things he joked was that, and the French were very offended. They said, no, you know, they are French. When you're here, you were just French. And one of the things that I explored with a friend of mine who is French, he goes, that's a two-edged sword because now all of a sudden your history is just French. You're not allowed to have a history and it's becoming, they're trying to change it. They're trying to work on it. But all of a sudden your history is, you know, white people that were ruled by the Romans and you don't get to be a part of that history until very, very at the very, very end. And so I think there is a value in having uh, uh being able to look back. And, and to me, that needs to be something we talk about. It's like, Hey, this isn't just a, well, you guys get rid of it. It needs to be, Hey, this is your history. If you think this is necessary, if you think there's a value in it, keep it. Yeah. If this is working, let's keep it. Let's, yeah. let's move with it. Let's still work. Cause I don't think having regional conferences also separates us. They don't need to be a cause of separation. And I don't know if that's just me, but I'm like, why? Like you were mentioning uh, uh, Becker about having them work side by side. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I, I get why there's Spanish-speaking churches next to English-speaking churches, because people who don't speak English aren't going to be able to go to yep. an English-speaking service and appreciate it. Forget worship style. Toss that all out the window. They're not going to understand it. And from a culture perspective, that's true, too. I think when someone who comes from one way of how church is done and they step into a different way— they they're not going to understand it, but that doesn't mean that they can't work together. And I see. So to me, I think that's the big thing for me. It, it doesn't by getting rid of them, we're not going to end racism. Yeah. And I think it devalues when we talk about it in that way. It yeah. devalues the the beauty that regional conferences have, and and you know uh, uh, organizations like each HBCUs and and um, everything along that line. Okay, so two two things here. First, Tony, to your France example, too, the big argument there was also that um, black people were immigrants if they did something bad, but they were French right. if they did something good. If they did something that was, good, that yeah, was the exactly. narrative issue there. Yep. Um, yep. They're only yeah, their their history is only celebrated, quote unquote, if they do something bad or acknowledged if they do something bad. Um, but so my yeah. question here then is. Yeah. Are there any merits that you guys can see? Are there any merits to the side of the argument that says we should? Is there anything you can even concede to the side that says we should get we should, you know, combine conferences or reintegrate conferences or whatever? Is there any sort of, of concession you can make to that? Or do you think no, there's really I don't think there's any sort of case to be made here at this point? I mean, I think any case can be made for almost anything. So, I mean, you can make a valid case for yeah. um, the end 
Um, but if you're talking about one that I get behind, it would have to be under the right circumstances in society. It would have to be a place where where race has be, begun to matter less, or the church at the NAD at a conference level, we see that the conferences have taken stand anti-racist stances and have actively worked to eradicate racist systems and structures in place within conference structures and church structures. Mm. So it has to account yeah. for, there's a lot that has yeah. to be accounted yeah. for, which then to Tony's point says like, it yeah, to you have to end racism shift. before yeah. you can end the, the conferences. And I think that's a, I think there's a major point. Like, I think there's a, um, like to me, I think the only, I think the only valid way you get rid of regional conferences, the only concession that I would make in that com- in that conversation is that if you, if you make an argument that conferences in general don't need to exist, then obviously in that system by default regional conferences wouldn't exist like i think that's the only concession i'm because there are people that argue like oh we don't need unions and then there are people that argue we don't need state conferences and so or we in and like the conference level as a whole and so if you're going to argue that fair to you then there's no integration that happens because everyone just gets lost in the shuffle i guess but um that that i think is the only one that i think there's a there's a all the hr nightmare well, solved at that point everyone's been fired equally yeah. <laughs> uh for better or for worse yeah. i and i, I think, don't i think the that's other issue a, the this structure conversation into, is an in, right go ahead go ahead no no no. go ahead the structure conversation yeah uh the structure conversation is just an entirely different episode like that that which which yeah. part no like, that's, that's a whole an different entirely thing. different conversation i i think one of the yeah, one of the big issues I think that we run into um, about this, and, and Becca, you talked about this a little bit at the very beginning where you said it, we kind of don't, when it is brought up, people have really strong opinions about it. One of the reasons why I think it's not brought up as much is because as a whole, I think Christianity, and in particular Adventism, just from what I've seen, we have problems admitting that there's a problem. Um we tend to not bury our heads in the sand per se, but I think we have, we have a tendency to not want to admit that there's an issue um, and to kind of have this, because I think if we admit it, then especially, you know, with people who come from kind of a perfection theology, um, you know, we're farther away from this idea of perfection. And so when we acknowledge that there's a problem, um, then we actually have to like fix it and go into it. And, and I think that's one of the big issues that we run into is that in order to acknowledge that there's an issue, we have to acknowledge that there's an issue and we kind of don't want to do that. So we don't bring it up. We kind of were like, Oh, I... um, so you, yeah. you know, you asked something that I would get behind. I, there would have to be a huge culture shift, not only from a racist standpoint and a racism standpoint and a, structural standpoint but from a culture of acknowledgement um i mean i think newer generations were much more willing to acknowledge i mean there was a joke on twitter the other day someone said you know uh uh 
the 1960s, you know, someone whispering, I had to go to therapy. And then, you know, cut to today. Y'all are never going to guess what my therapist told me to do today. So, you know, I think that's a big, you know, shift where we're willing to be a little bit more transparent about our issues, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when it, when it comes to mental health and and personal issues. But I think it would have to be a huge cultural shift where we even admit that, hey, this can be better um, as a culture. And so yeah. that I think if I see a conference where from a whole, not just from the leadership, but from the grassroots up, they acknowledge that there is issues and then like like everyone's saying we they take steps to address those issues yeah okay i could see something like that happening because then then they're like hey this this needs this can be better um we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do whatever it takes to be the best and most effective conduit for the holy spirit and if it means acknowledging that there's a problem, if it means stepping aside, if it means setting self aside and ego and all of that, whatever it takes, we're going to do it. But to me, again, that would take a huge cultural shift that I don't see. I mean, look at what the, uh, just the, the evangelical world is dealing with right now. I mean, I, I, you know, I follow so many different evangelical pastors on, on you know, Twitter and various social media, and you have half of them, you know, nothing's wrong. We just need to, everything's fine. We'll get through this. And the other half are like, dude, this is burning to the ground. All right. So with everything then, um, as we kind of close here, I want to just open this up. Um, final thoughts on this issue that you want to leave people with um, and anything that you want to um, let people know about this topic or, you know, this conversation as a whole, whether it's how they proceed or what, you know, how we handle this conversation moving forward, anything like that. Um, floor is yours. Um, and so since Tony just talked for a while, um, Evan, <laughs> I'll give you the floor um, here. I think now I enjoy having this conversation, but at the same time, I'm tired of the conversation, uh, because we're not really making any progress, but it's always good to hash out and talk about and to look at. I think for me, I think I understand where a lot of people are coming from. In what they're saying, they, they, especially younger generations, they just want us to do, to be right in the eyes of God, there to not be prejudiced or racist or, or things of that nature going on. But what I would say is I would challenge everyone who is engaged in this conversation to engage in formulating anti-racist positions. That is to say, not just, not just um, having a problem with prejudice or with racism, but to actively engage in fighting against racism. And the challenge with that is, I think we have to understand the history. And if you want the best understanding of the history, I think you have to read the black sources about the history of the black work and regional conferences. And so we have to join together in talking about fighting racism. If you really want to see, for those who are concerned about it, the conclusion of regional conferences, you have to hold your leadership at the conference level, not regional, state conference level, accountable. You have to hold the NAD leaders 
accountable. And part of the issue is we also must realize that leaders, while they make spiritual decisions, they also make financial decisions. As a generation of millennials, where is our tithe going? Are we sending our money to the local congregation, local conference, to where we're taking seriously about our concerns about what's going on with the church? Because let's say in this conversation I had with my young people just this this week, what good is it to vote what you want, even though Martin Luther King says it's never the wrong time to do the right thing? What good is it to, to vote what the millennials or Generation Z or Generation X wants uh, if Generation Z, X, or millennials, speaking in a general sense, are not faithful in returning tithes and offer to the institution. The pe- what speaks is money. And the people who pay money want the system as is. And so if you're going to take anti-racist positions, your money must back up what you're arguing for, and you must hold things accountable. When you are at your schools, when you see um, white parents talking about there's so many black kids here, where they say privately, don't say to black people, hold them accountable. When you see them... Um, when you see the leadership structure making decisions that favor those who they view more as human than those who pay less to go to those schools or make it scholarships to go to their schools, hold them accountable. Invest in it, uh, be honest about it, and talk about the issues of race. And even hold your pastors accountable because we have a lot of white evidence who voted for Trump and who will vote for Trump again. And so what good is it if we reform the church, in a sense, I have quotation, reform the church, but aren't also concerned with reforming the broken racist society in which we live. So engage in anti-racist behavior as opposed to just talking about the problem of regional conferences, which speak to a history of race mattering in our church. And if you want to actively work to end them, work to actively embrace your black brothers and sisters in Christ and get involved for our preachers show up to pastors of Angel Leacher Conference on Spell, Alabama, and for our black leaders, go to what's your Ohio Southern? I forget what that thing's called. The what? The the what the it's ministerial a- you that Hernandez runs, Southern Union. Oh um, um Oh man. It's in October. Um EC three? EC3, show up to EC3, build relationships, try to get outside your circle group and your comfort level. We need to engage more in anti-racist behavior than talking theoretically about the structures in place, I think. Yeah, well, and and um, to your point, too, I think there's this this attitude of like, well, I don't want to send my money to support an institution that isn't doing the things I want it to do. The problem is, if you were never giving in the first place, the institution isn't going to feel that you stopped giving. Um <laughs> <laughs> so and and ultimately like you can't hold leadership positions if you're not tithing in the adventist church so if you're gonna like yeah. put your money where your mouth is 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 what we're saying yeah. here and that's something that's yeah. that's a rebuke to me in many ways too um because i've resisted paying tithe before um and <laughs> for other reasons um part of it was poor financial planning i'll be honest that's just full transparency but i think there's there is a there is a need for for us to put our money where our mouth is and um, so I'm a paying member of this church. I have a right to have my voice heard. Yeah. That says something different than I'm a non-paying member benefiting off of the money of everyone else. And I want you to hear my voice. Yeah. So agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, so, hey, Evan, thank you for coming on. 
Um, and for being a part of this conversation again. <laughs> um, well, I'll do and, it again. Let me know. Um, and Tony, thank you for your contributions as well. Um, uh, you know that I always appreciate you and whatever terrible hotel internet you have at any given time. <laughs> um, and hey, we made it to 100. We did it. Um, Started from the bottom, now we're here. We're we here. It. We did um, it. So um, thank you so much for listening to Absurdity, for journeying with us all the way to 100 episodes. This is insane, and there's so much more to come from here. Um, if you do want to support this podcast financially, talk about putting money where your mm -hmm. mouth is, um, or I guess where your ears are on the, in this case of a podcast, um, we do have a few new ways to donate now through PayPal. Um, so if you head over to theabsurdity.org slash donate, um, you can find out all those ways you can subscribe directly through PayPal or you can you still use Patreon as well. Um, if you want, all of our contact info will be in the show notes. And um, Evan, if you want, will include Evan's Twitter and anything in there as well. So you'll know based on the fact that it's there that he's that he's OK with you yeah. contacting him and reaching out to him if you have questions or want to continue the conversation in yeah. another format. Um, but thank you, guys. And we'll see you cool. next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.